0: It's Thursday, February 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hansen, and from Fool.com, the co host of Where the Money Is, Matt Copenheffer. Happy Thursday, gents.
1: Hi, Chris. I'm just
2: happy to be here next to Matt. <laughs> You're a phenomenon at this point.
0: <laughs> from Jamie Braswell in Concept. Dublin, Ireland. Who writes? Congratulations, Chris, on your alma mater, Boston College Eagles, knocking off number one Syracuse. We really are leading with this. All right, removing the Orange (laughs) men from the ranks of the undefeated. It's a it's a listener email. I'm a huge fan of the show. It's delightfully informative. I listen to the podcast each morning as I take the train from Wicklow to Dublin. Thank you as always for listening, and That's thank a long you. Commute. Yeah, it is a long commute, and thank you for what I consider to be, at the risk of of moving into hyperbole here, the single greatest email we've ever gotten. Now, when, when's the last time your feet touched the ground? <laughs> uh, you know, earlier today, but it was. Uh, let's be clear, my beloved alma mater, Boston College Eagles, are having a horrible season.
2: Having watched that game and enjoyed the defeat of the Syracuse <laughs> team, I will say that the Boston College Eagles may be the most unathletic team in D one basketball. <laughs>
0: You know, they're cutting to the bench at the end of the game. The guys sort of have their arms locked. They're hoping that they can hang on in victory. And I was struck by, to Tim's point, wow, this is not a particularly (laughs) athletic look. This looked like, you know, it could have been me and Bill Mann and Bill Barker (laughs) just sitting on the bench.
2: I love the irrational confidence of the guy, of the kid who hit four free throws to ice the game. When they showed his season line, he was only like a 50% free throw shooter. Yes. But he was like, give me the ball. I got this. Like, <laughs> and wow. he did. And he did. You got to love the irrational confidence guy.
0: There's no, way, there's no delicate way to wrap that into investing. So let's just move on with, uh, <laughs> with our stories today. We've got um, uh, Pepsi is in the news, Bank of America will dip into the full mailbag. Uh, we're not talking Tesla Motors today. We will talk about that on the Motley Fool Money Show. David Gardner is our guest this week and i can tell you right out of the gate we'll we'll be talking about tesla so so tune in for that but let's start with what is the story of the day today and that is facebook buying whatsapp a messaging app for smartphones for 19 billion it's a, i should say the deal is worth 19 billion the majority of this is in stock the headline tim is one of those headlines that has a lot of people just scratching their head saying, what are they doing? This is a business that didn't even exist five years ago. It's not entirely clear how they're going to put advertising on this because WhatsApp does not have advertising. It does not have a digital platform. What, When you first saw the headline, because this broke last night, what did you think of this deal?
2: I thought it was crazy. I thought it was crazy. Um, you know, having said that, Facebook, what is Facebook struggling with right now? It is um, appeal to younger users, right? I think, you know, the kids. The kids don't think Facebook is is hip. Um, the kids apparently like to use WhatsApp, which is a messaging um, app. Um, from my understanding is that what WhatsApp actually does is, is pretty much no different from what you can do on Facebook Messenger. So the technology, there's no, they're not gaining any technology. All they're gaining is users. And they're paying about, Forty dollars a user, um WhatsApp doesn't really monetize anything, and um so I think you know their plan here is basically to get those users onto Facebook where they can monetize them on the Facebook platform where you know they've actually done a very good job of monetizing Facebook users to the extent they have them um, so that's the strategy. Will it work? who knows um you know but Facebook remember Facebook went public for no good reason, right? And they didn't need the money they had to yeah, I mean they basically they well now you well you may be seeing why they went public they went now they can use their stock as a currency, and when you can pay an arguably overpriced stock for an overpriced company, you know, but Facebook's valuation per user is more than WhatsApp's valuation per user, so if they can get they can arguably create value for themselves by simply getting all those WhatsApp users to be valued at the same level as Facebook users now this is all sort of alchemy because who knows why those valuations are what they are right but you know, if you look at it that way, it's not so crazy.
0: Matt, some people defending this deal say, look, Twitter is a company valued at $20 billion. This is a $19 billion deal. And WhatsApp has more than twice the number of users that Twitter has.
1: Well, first of all, I'm going to take issue with something that that Tim said. He said they they value the users at, at $40 a pop in this deal. And they don't really monetize anything. But they do charge $1 a year for the service after the first year, the first year's free. And then they charge $1 a year. So if Facebook is able to keep these users on for 40 years, <laughs> there, there you go. That's math. I stand corrected. That's, that's just, and, and it, okay. If, well, pre- if, you got a present, if, if present value. I was going to say, <laughs> if we discount that back to present value, maybe we're talking more like 50 or 60 years, but still, I mean, 50 or 60 years from now, all these people are definitely going to be still using WhatsApp on, on a, on a serious note, it it is. I mean, the price looks looks pretty crazy. This is this has been a phenomenally successful company, though. When we think about how quickly it's grown, it's got 450 million users. It was just started in 2009, and uh, again, to Tim's point, you pointed out that most of the most of this is being paid for in stock. So when we talk about a, a stock potentially being overvalued the flip side to that is that this is really cheap financing to do basically anything so when you look at the when you look at the stock price that facebook's trading at right now and you look at the profits that it's earning on a, a on a trailing basis and, and what's expected on a forward basis you're talking about like 0.9% like less than 1% or less than 2% on a forward basis that you're basically getting these financing costs for and this is equity financing you don't have to pay interest on it this doesn't get called on you so this is a this is a great option to finance a deal i mean you still don't want to do an overpriced deal if that's what this is but it's a good way to finance it
0: i saw one report that google had made an offer in the neighborhood of 10 billion for this if that is true then obviously this is nearly twice that i remember when well let me my calculator yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> the math is right on that I, but i remember when Snapchat turned down Facebook's offer, and I said at the time I have no reason to to believe this. I maybe it's just that I like to think that Mark Zuckerberg gathered his lieutenants in a room and said, "We're going to bury Snapchat. How dare they turn down our offer?" I again, I have no idea if that's true, or you know, maybe I that's Can't true. imagine Mark but, Zuckerberg having that sort of reaction. But I do wonder if once. They made up their mind that they wanted this, that Zuckerberg said, we're going to get this. And if we have to overpay to perhaps an even crazy amount, to use your t- word, Tim, then we're going to do that. Because if nothing else, we're going to keep this away from Google. We're going to keep this away from Apple.
2: Yeah. That's I mean, probably how the line of thinking went. I mean, you know, when you're using equity financing, at the end of the day, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, it's really no skin off your back to use it. The only people who get hammered are your are your – your retail shareholders.
0: Are the biggest winners here your friends at Sequoia Capital? You have a, you have a friend at Sequoia Capital, right?
1: <laughs> I, I, they're, doing, they're doing pretty well. Early. They, they, they invested uh, $60 million, I think it was, and uh, their stake is in about WhatsApp. $3 billion in Okay, in WhatsApp. Yeah. You, know what, you know what's really impressive here, now that you bring up the, the Google thing? What's really impressive is that Google comes along and said, you founded this company in 2009. We'll give you $10 billion for it. And they said, you know what? No. We think we can get more, and they're getting double that. That's—I I don't know how you do that.
2: Well, it's interesting. I mean, from a you know, from a, the culture of startups, right? Everybody knocks startups for not having business plans, or at least we do, right? Fairly routinely, and and yet there's no there's really no reward to having a startup stay small and develop a business plan. I mean, it's just all about users. Now, some of that can flame out spectacularly, as you're seeing it, like Living Social. Right, where it's just no business plan, all users, and then you know if you don't get taken out by someone who has a business plan, you're eventually going to blow up. But if you can somehow manage to accumulate users and then sell to someone who thinks they can monetize your users, I mean that that's the way to do. It. I mean anybody who's turned who's been turning down these offers like Groupon did, um, you know Snapchat. I mean that to me starts looking pretty pretty silly because your value as a startup, is in being able to supply users to someone who knows how to monetize them. Otherwise, you're, you're basically just going to go up and then waste away. What do you th- pretty silly you meant idiotic, right? Uh, you know, I don't <laughs> use that kind of language. <laughs>
0: that. Last question on this topic. What do you think the people at Snapchat are thinking as they wake up and see this news? Are they thinking, oh, my gosh, we totally blew it? No, they're they're and-
2: probably irrationally confident. There's our tie back. They're, <laughs> they're the <laughs>
0: irrational confidence people.
1: It's
2: like, ah, oh, we got this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Give me the rock, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: Give
2: you know, me the rock. I
1: think you can twenty five billion. If
2: you're Snapchat, right, all you have to do is convince yourself that somehow Facebook will find a way to make WhatsApp no longer cool and friendly to use, and will scare away its users to an alternative platform. And you can go to sleep thinking that. Whether that happens, I have no idea. But I mean, that's that's your irrational confidence in the face of that. I mean, Groupon, right, turned down six billion dollars, and you know, until an- the day Andrew Mason got kicked out of the company, basically. I mean. I think he was probably still drinking his his Kool-Aid.
1: One other quick fun number on this. This is about $350 million per WhatsApp employee. So a, a lot of the concern prior to the or during the financial crisis, prior to the financial crisis, all of our best and brightest minds are going to Wall Street because they'll make a lot of money there. This goes a long way to uh, to fixing that balance.
0: Activist investor Nelson Peltz is once again pushing for Pepsi to spin off its snack business, and he's done this in a 37-page letter to the board of directors. We talked earlier in the week about Coca-Cola, their latest quarter. Pepsi is seems to be in the same boat, at least when you look at things like the declining uh, trend of soda consumption in North America. There are some struggles even in international markets. Uh, it's I don't know. I'm not a Pepsi shareholder, but I'm wondering if this now makes more sense given the recent struggles of Pepsi.
1: I, I actually am a Pepsi shareholder. And in the past, I've defended the, the choice to keep the two companies integrated. Uh, but I, I think I think at this point, I have to give in and agree with Peltz. I think there is good reason to uh, break it up, have these as standalone businesses. I think what you're looking at in terms of the, the industry dynamics and, and Managing these businesses, one one of which you're still seeing some nice growth with, that's the the snack food business, and one which you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of challenges, a lot of headwinds, and that's the soda business. I, I think it really would be useful to have them truly have standalone businesses and and be managed on a standalone basis, um, and. I think from Pepsi's management's perspective, it's nice to have the two integrated because you can kind of hide the fact that the the beverage business isn't doing all that well by having the top-line numbers, including the, the better-looking snack food business.
2: I think this has been a banner sort of six to nine months for activists releasing plans for large corporations, yeah. which I think is just – Taking aside the merits of any or not lack of merits of any one of those individual plans, I think just indicates that stocks are expensive and there are not that many good ideas out there, right? Because it's like, well, what should we do?
0: Um, Carl Icahn, Apple, buy back oh, more shares. Oh, man,
2: we could, we could dust off that old Pepsi thing. Yes, <laughs> dust off the Pepsi thing. Let's try that again. All right.
0: Let's say they go ahead and do this. Is there, as a shareholder, you're going to get shares of both? Are you holding on to both? Are you looking to sell one and keep the other?
1: Uh, t- to be honest, the the combined company is on my on my short list to kill as it is. <laughs> so um, so I, I don't know that I'm that I'm keeping either or both of them. Regardless, but I, I think that I, I think that there is legitimate p- potential that you can unlock some value here. I, I think that giving the market the ability to value a pure play soda biz- business value a pure play snack food business, which you theoretically can do as it is. But the market's that just would take
2: that would take two separate spreadsheets. Of it.
1: Right. And no, apparently nobody does that. <laughs> because because when these things happen, you tend a- to get Excel only has one tab. I mean, right? <laughs> you can't do it. I can't It'll literally How break it. I do that. Your entire computer <laughs> will blow up.
0: Before we dip into the full mailbag, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan has received a raise. His salary and bonus for twenty thirteen uh, up increased seventeen percent. It will now be fourteen million dollars. First, I'm happy for Brian because I know he's sort of been bootstrapping it for a while, so that's great to see. <laughs> is this warranted? You think it is?
1: I think it is. I, I think it is because when you when you look at what's going on in the banking sector. A lot of the improvements in the the banking business can be attributed to the improvements in the economy, to the turnaround in the housing market. That's, that's going to help. It's going to help loan demand. It's going to help credit quality, all that kind of stuff. So you want to say... What is it that this executive is actually doing? And when you look at what Brian Moynihan has done, you can actually point to things that he's done. He's implemented this cost-cutting program. He's trimmed a lot of branches uh, at Bank of America a- across the country, so saving a lot on the cost side. So he's he laid off a lot of people. Laid off a lot of people. And, and hey, at at, at that business, I, I think that that was necessary. And at the same time, he's we can look back to uh, when Bank of America was sort of in the, the worst throes of uh, – of market concerns. And he secured an investment from Warren Buffett, which I think really, really improved confidence in the bank. So I think he's done a lot. He's still getting paid a lot less than his peers. Oh,
2: well there, that, that makes it, that,
1: that makes, makes it, good. that makes it okay. I mean, if you're running a
2: large bank today and you haven't been able to do well in the interest rate environment where money is basically free, I mean, it's but not exactly money is hard free, hard but the, the spreads that you're
1: getting are, are,
2: yeah, but you when you're I mean, you, you're paying your depositors nothing. I mean you basically all you need to do is just not I mean, credit to him. Hasn't acquired a countrywide financial, which already heads until you know, heads heads and shoulders above his predecessor. I don't know. It just seems like Managing a bank in this environment has not been the most difficult thing in the world, I think. I, I think the
1: next few years are going to be a little bit trickier. Managing a good bank in this environment has been pretty easy. Managing Bank of America is another story. I mean oh. it's been all and that's another thing too is all of the all of the legal headaches and all of the court cases he, he's got a legal background, and so I, I think he's been pretty instrumental in, in helping Shepherd the bank through all that stuff.
0: Tim Hansen single-handedly killing his chances to get on Bank of America's board of Directors. <laughs> You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Uh, Email from Don Sampson who writes, I own shares of American Public Education, ticker symbol APEI. The company has filed six amendments to the SEC since December 31st disclosing purchases of APEI, APEI stock by large institutional investors, BlackRock, Invesco, T. Rowe Price, Wellington Fidelity, and a Spanish company. The total of these stock purchases is more than 46% of shares outstanding. On the one hand, it looks like six significant votes of confidence for the company. On the other hand, I'm wondering if it's risky to have such a large portion of a small company owned by just a few institutions. Um, It's a company with a market cap of about three quarters of a billion dollars. Um, Whether it's American public education or any similarly sized companies, Tim, what what goes through your head when you discover something like this? Does it, do you take it as a vote of confidence, or, do you, or does it become a slightly higher risk factor because you've got just a few institutions controlling the stock, arguably?
2: Well, I mean, it depends. it depends what the institution is, what their motives are, and what actually is holding the stock, right? So, for example, BlackRock basically owns shares of everything because of their ETF business. You'll find them as a major holder pretty much. Any small company in the United States, you'll find BlackRock floating around and there, in that shareholder base. They're probably benign. Um, I don't know the specific circumstances around APEI. Um, but generally speaking, you know, in a world where retail shareholders' concerns are more often than not overlooked by management teams, you know, having someone like a T. Rowe Price in there or, you know, like a Royce or, you know, mutual fund houses that are manage- institutions that are managing a lot of money that, you know, make return on capital and treatment of shareholders a, a, a priority, you know, having them be able to call management and have them take their calls and say, hey, we think you should do X, Y, or Z, or, you know, are you really doing that? I think that's more often a good thing than a bad thing. Having said that, if, you know, if you think someone is accumulating stock to try to take out a company at a valuation that you don't think is fair, obviously that's not going to work in your best interest over the long term. But I don't think, given the the diversity of shareholders, there, that doesn't seem like that's the case here.
0: Matt?
1: when when i see the the big uh money managers like blackrock like like those guys blackrock like tim said is is largely indexing uh but a lot of uh, frankly a lot of these other companies they they do a lot of closet indexing so basically they they're buying whatever it is out there whatever you have to own to sort of not look stupid when the calendar year ends um so i kind of discount it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me when I see big stakes from, from these companies. I just sort of expect it a, a lot of times. Uh, from s- smaller asset managers, from ones that have better records, from ones that have a, a process that I, that I understand and respect, that, that makes more of a difference to me when I see them in there. And t- to Tim's point, uh, when, you, when you see these um, big stakes coming in from, from people from managers that you understand and appreciate – there can be good changes that come about uh south uh southeastern asset management is it southeastern Mm -hmm. mason hawkins Mm -hmm. uh they were the ones they had a big stake in chesapeake and then carl icon came along speaking of of activism and it was it was through that combination through southeastern's big stake and then icon coming in that changes finally came to chesapeake which I, i think were changes badly badly needed
0: down at Motley Fool Asset Management, do you guys ever get a letter like, whoa, you guys are acquiring too much of this company. I'm worried now. I'm, I'm just wondering if you guys ever get lumped in with, like, Invesco, BlackRock, and Motley Fool Asset Management now hold this percentage of shares.
2: Uh, we don't, We don't. <laughs> given our disclosed holdings, we, there's nothing we own, We don't own more than 3 or 4% of any individual company. But, I mean, there are some small companies where we own a meaningful amount of shares. And, we'll, you know, we call and introduce ourselves, and I'm sure they- find us to be somewhat curious because we have <laughs> a, a funny name and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's nice. You know, whenever we try to get meetings, right, the first thing that we're often asked is, well, how many shares do you own? Right? And um, if it's zero, I'm sure that their priority, putting, getting us on a list of right. meeting priorities, we fall to the bottom. If it's, oh, by the way, we own $10 million worth of stock, it's like, oh, we'll see you next week, right? So, you know, Having worked both on, uh, you know, on the on the service side where it's all retail investors, you know, when they, when people try to call large companies and get appointments or ask get questions answered, often if you don't own a lot of stock, you get you do get pushed down the list, and so there is I mean there is some advantage to being able to pool your money and um, then have a little bit more influence on the company, uh, or at least even not if it's influence, it's just oh I have a, I want to get my question answered right, yeah. um, so you know we find that to be the case and and uh, you know. Th- companies do care how much how much stock you own when when you call to make make requests on their time cuz as we all know time is
1: not we do, we do not have infinite amounts of time so how long before your first 13d letter goes out uh we what's I, a 13d letter that's that's basically carl icon get right. getting getting <laughs> where i think being
2: hostile is on our agenda as of yet. <laughs> uh, we say, I mean you know we call we ask people pointed questions but uh, you know we do I think in order to be a true activist shareholder, I think, A, you, need to, you mostly need to be a hedge fund, right, because you can't be regulated in the way that, that retail mutual funds are. Um, and you also have to be willing to – I mean, you, know, you you have to be able to have enough capital available. Ornery, too. An employee, you and, to and you need ornery. to be ornery <laughs> um, to really, if they don't listen to you, to go in and say, all right, I'm serious. You know, Now I've got 20 25% of the company, and, and I don't think none of our prospectuses would allow our funds to be able to do that.
0: To find out what's on the agenda of Tim Hansen and his colleagues at Motley Fool Asset Management and what else they're interested in, go to foolfunds.com. Sign up for declarations. It is the free monthly email newsletter. You don't have to be a shareholder to get it, so just go to foolfunds.com. Give them your email address. Sign up for declarations. And if you're not listening to Where the Money Is, the daily podcast with phenomenon. Matt Copenheffer. Daily
1: phenomenon. <laughs> and if you're not David to it, you're to you're saving a half an hour debt.
0: <laughs> Just, <laughs> I'm, all I'm saying is, it's a, it's a free podcast, people. Just check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, the Swell app. free.
2: Free, accumulates users, sells it to Facebook for billions of dollars. <laughs> That's that the, plan. The, that plan. the plan. That is the phenomenon.
0: That's That is the plan of Copenheffer and David Hansen. $345
1: art. million dollars per employee. <laughs> That's what we're shooting for. There it is.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for being here.